0: First of all, good morning, glad you're here today. Secondly, there's no way I can get started without addressing this. Like Keith, your phone is not the only thing that doesn't recognize you. (laughs) And so I think for the sake of avoiding confusion for the next few weeks, we should just all assume that Keith Keith Pipes, our worship pastor, has been temporarily replaced by Smooth Keith. (laughs) And so I'm gonna thank Smooth Keith and the worship team for leading us in worship this morning. And that's just, I don't know how long that takes, smooth Keith, but when Keith Pipes comes back, you let us know. Um, All right. That's commitment right there. That was Linus last night uh, for Candy Cruise Inn, and he just went all out and was completely Linus. I am impressed with your commitment. And then Eric, are you over here somewhere? Where's Eric? Eric's teaching today. Well, I'm going to thank Eric anyway. Um, It was great to have a different voice up here last week preaching to us and to hear what God's teaching our students. And I hope that you were here last week and you got to hear that. And if you weren't, you should really get online and listen to last week. Um, Eric did a great job. I think I learned that what I should say is that it was bussin' bussin', um, except that would be treating him like he's lunch and not a preacher. And so I guess you're only allowed to say that about food, but he really did a great job, and I appreciated Eric teaching last week, and and we're going to continue to do that. I think it's something we're going to keep seeing even in the book of Acts, the idea of multiple teachers and multiple leaders and multiple voices being called by God and filled with the Spirit to teach the church. Um, And so we'll keep working on uh, having a teaching team and multiple voices up here so that we could say that the Bible is central. We want to hear the Bible every week and that the spirit is central, that he has to teach every week, but the person standing right here is not nearly as significant. The personality right here is not nearly as significant as the spirit and the word. And so I, I'm really thankful to Eric for reminding us of that last week. And again, if you, didn't, if you weren't here last week to hear what God's been doing in our student ministry and the things he's been teaching our students about himself, I hope you'll get online and hear that. Today we're jumping back into the book of Acts. Um, if you wanna to turn to Acts chapter 11, that's the main thing we're going to be focusing on, but we are going to back up just a little bit into chapter 10. I know I'm really bad about doing that pretty much every week, but just to remind us, because it is one continuous story, and the chapter breaks weren't there originally. Well, you know, when, when Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote the book of Acts, it was just one big book, and we put the chapter breaks in and the verse divisions to help us reference and find stuff a little more easily, but I think sometimes it is... Uh, It breaks the flow of thought and the story if we finish a chapter and we break it up and then we wait a week or in this case two weeks and pick up in the next chapter. So I'm going to back up into chapter 10 and start in verse 34 and that's what's in your bulletin too there. We're starting in chapter 10 verse 34. We'll read through the end of chapter 11 and I'm going to remind you how we're going to approach it. That we want to depend on God during this time. Not that I would teach. Not that you would be smart enough just to look at this and listen and understand and say, hey, there's some things I know and that I've learned from a human perspective, but we're gonna pray right here at the beginning. We're gonna say, God, will you please teach us on a deep spiritual level in the way that only you can, that the Holy Spirit would be the master teacher during this time, opening up spiritual truths out of the word of God and applying them to our hearts and our lives and working in us and living in us to change us. And then we're gonna focus on God. As I read this chapter... I'm asking you to ask this first question. What does this teach us about God? That knowing God and knowing the truth about God is the foundation of everything else we'll know. And that God has things to say to us, as his people, as his church. There's things that he wants to teach us today. There's ways he wants to change us. There's ways he wants us to grow. But all of that is built on who he is. That we have to know him in the right way to know who he wants us to be as his church, who he wants us to be as his people. And so we're starting with, what's this teach us about God? And then, that we do want to be changed by God. That when we encounter God and we hear from him, that he is going to, let's examine, work in our hearts. That we don't just want this to be religious ritual or, or a routine that we go through every week or an intellectual exercise, but that this encounter with God would be his spirit working in us and changing us at the core of who we are, making us into new people, more like Jesus, living in us and living through us and changing us and then powered by God and especially to tell others. And so we're going to end in prayer again, asking God to do in us whatever he shows us this morning, asking him to do this work in us and use us to reach other people and multiply and reproduce spiritually. And so that's where we're headed. Um, I'm going to pray for us right now and then we'll jump in starting in Acts 10 verse 34. So if you'll pray with me. Father, thank you for this time right now. Thank you for your grace that when we were so far from you and so dead and lost and blind in our sin that we never, ever could have seen you or found you, that you came to us and you acted and you spoke and you revealed yourself. And you made yourself known. And that you have had it written down in your word in the Bible. So that right now we can come together and we can know you. And so please, Father, in the name of Jesus, because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, right now, by your Holy Spirit, teach us from the truth of your word as only you can. Open us up to the truth of your word and open the truth of your word up to us. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, Acts 10, starting in verse 34. What's this teach us about God? So Peter opened his mouth and said, "'Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, "'but in every nation anyone who fears him "'and does what is right is acceptable to him. "'As for the word that he sent to Israel, "'preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, "'he is Lord of all,' but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household." As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. All right. What's that teach us about God? And the way that Eric coined it last week, whatever you say, I'll write down here on my handy-dandy Andy notebook. And you can see it on the screen. So what's that teach us about God? God came to save everyone. All peoples, all races, all nationalities. That's what we mean by that. No distinction. I mean, how many times God shows no partiality Every nation. Anyone. He sent a word to Israel. And the word is that Jesus is Lord of all. Right? Not just Israel. Jesus ministers in Israel. Here we go. After he's resurrected, he commands the disciples to preach that Jesus is going to be judge of the living and the dead, not just Israel, but all living, all dead, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It's the main point, really, of this whole section as God is hammering these early Christian Jews with the belief of this is for the whole world, this is for the nations, Jesus is the Messiah and Savior to all. What else? Yeah. No matter how far along you are in your walk. And if you don't mind, I'm going to add this just parenthetically here. Or how how far along you think you are. God can always show you more. And you know, first of all, with Peter, that I mean, he has walked with Jesus for three years on earth. He's already gone through the the really humbling, breaking experience of denying Jesus three times, and then Jesus coming and graciously restoring him, and then you know using him in really big ways. We've already seen it so far through the book of Acts whether it's preaching on the very day that the church is born and 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus or being you know, one of the, the main voices of the early church and being so bold that he keeps getting arrested and thrown in prison and released and arrested again and thrown in prison again, um, but, that with Peter you would see already that there's been a walk with Jesus and Jesus at work in his life and yet still there's more for him to learn. And the thing is, it's not like Peter shouldn't have known this by now. If you wanna go back later, I think it's Mark chapter seven, where Jesus has already said, hey, it doesn't matter what goes into your body. What matters is what comes out of your body. That's what makes you clean or unclean. And, and then Mark puts in parentheses, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. And so Peter's right there with him, misses that. And then, you know, as Jesus ascends back up into heaven, he says things like, go and make disciples of all nations. I mean, that's like as clear as it gets, I believe. He's, you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? No, ends of the earth. And so... Peter's heard it. He just hasn't gotten it yet. But we see God coming again and, and teaching Peter again. And, and I pointed this out a couple weeks ago, again and again and again in this section. Like he knows. He knows we don't get it after one time. He knows we don't get it after two times. I guess he's kind of hopeful we get it after three times. Um, but, but if we see this in Peter's life, after all the experiences that Peter has had, how much more? How much more does God have to say to you and me to keep teaching us. This is why week after week after week, and I hope day after day after day in your own life personally, in small groups with one another, just in your everyday relationships that you're building with people in this church and outside of this church, that when we would come to the Word of God, it would always be with this humble realization of, I need to know God more. I need God to say more to me. I need God to remind me of things that he said before and I heard and I've forgotten. And I just need him to keep teaching me because there is not a day that I walk, there's not a day that I live that I don't get a little bit off course if I'm left to myself. That, that it's just always, I'm just always just drifting away from him, prone to wander away from him. And if this goes unchecked, what starts out as this veers into this really fast over time. And I need the grace of God that he would just keep calling me back and keep calling me back and keep reminding me of the truth of the gospel day after day after day, that it is not just this once upon a time, the gospel's for these unbelievers, and when they believe it, good, they're good to go now. The gospel's for believers. But every day we would remember who God is and his grace and his love and how that defines everything in our entire lives and how it corrects all the things where we get off path and, and, and just lose sight of really who he is and what he's doing in his world and in our life. And so, yeah, like no matter how far along you are, you need God today. There's things that you need God to show you today. There's work that you need him to do in your heart. And he graciously does it. Like He keeps coming back and doing it. What else stands out to you? And by the way, I, that, I was just talked about Peter right then. Obviously, you've got this whole big group of religious people at the beginning of chapter 11 who their first response to, this not, this is awesome. Like God's saving the Gentiles. Like God, God's doing a, a, a bigger work than we ever thought he would do. Their first response is, how dare you break our rules, Peter? You went and ate with Gentiles. How dare you do that? Their religious traditions in that moment are way bigger to them than the work of God. And that's a whole other sermon, so I'll be quiet for just a minute. What else do you see? What's this teaching us about God? Is the creator and definer of righteousness. God is the creator and definer of righteousness. Do you want to point us to what made you think of it in those terms? him, everyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him, that he is, and then we do get it with Jesus, that he's the ultimate judge, whoever that was. Did I already pass that? No, it's on down here, isn't it? Yeah. That God is the definition of what is right, that his character, his nature, who he is, defines what is right and then he reveals that to us, and that that everything at the end of the day is going to be judged in terms of relationship to God. Does it reveal and reflect rightly who God is, or is it rebellion against God and rejection of who God is? What else? Truths about God, or about us, if there's things God's saying to your heart. God cares for everybody. And again, by everybody we mean all races, all cultures, all nationalities. Nobody's excluded. What else? You could add equally to the end of that. And, you know, the, the phrase equal, the phrase that was used, no partiality, and makes no distinction. That was down here. We didn't get to that yet in chapter 11 when we were running through, but when Peter's talking down here. Anybody know the verse? Hard for me scrolling this way. Where he says, "No distinction." <laughs> there it is. The Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. You know what a huge thing that is for the Jews who have constantly made distinction between themselves and everybody else. And the Spirit of God is saying, "There's no distinction," not when it comes to the gospel not when it comes to the need for forgiveness of sins, not when it comes to faith in Jesus. That the categories, and this is really, really good for us, I think, application-wise, the categories here are no longer Jew and Gentile. The categories are sinners who need to be saved by Jesus, and sinners who have been saved by Jesus. Like He's blowing up the religious categories that they've had in their mind for thousands of years. He's saying, these are the real categories, and Everybody's in this category together, and the only way you get to this category is through Jesus. And so you've got so much more in common than you would ever have different between you. If you can see that this is, that God is the standard and that we all answer to God and that this is how you're defined and either you are not in right relationship with God because of your sin that that separates you from God or Jesus has taken that away and now you are in right relationship with God. And that's everybody. That's the only two classes, the only two categories in the whole world. And we just we create so many different categories, whether it's in the world that we do it or it's in the church that we do it with our religion. And he's saying, no, is this, are you in Christ or not? Are you trusting Jesus or not? Has your sin been removed from you and paid on the cross by Jesus, or are you still in your sin? This that is the ultimate defining category for all people, in Jesus or not in Jesus united to jesus not united to jesus what else god is true to his word what made you say that hmm yeah this really would have been he says, I remembered Jesus already said this while he was on earth. This is going to happen. And Peter's like, I'm watching it with my own eyes happen. It really would have been to try to put yourself in those early apostles' shoes to have walked for three years on earth with Jesus, and he's constantly saying all this stuff. Or, and you know, I mean, you, you see it in the New Testament. Like I'm not making this up, where I feel like half the time they're trying to act like they know what he's talking about because they're embarrassed to admit that they don't, but they've got no clue what he's talking about. And, and just, you would have done it too. I would have done it. We've been afraid to be like, Jesus, what do you mean? But he's constantly saying stuff they don't have any category for. They've never seen it before. He's ushering in something entirely brand new that is unheard of and unthought of. And they're just kind of trucking along behind him like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just imagine like after the fact now, you know, two and three years later, these things happen. It's just like, oh, <laughs> that's what he meant. That's what he meant. He did say this. He told us this. Every bit of, like, and I just, there has to be this building where, like, every single thing he said, he told us. He, we didn't even know what he meant, but he knew what he meant, and he's doing it now, and I see it. And just to realize the faithfulness of Jesus, the, the truthfulness of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus, to always do what he says, to always keep his word. And then the, the power of Jesus, the authority of Jesus. That he says it, and it's not just that he means it and intends to do it, but that he actually can. That nothing stops him. He always does it. What else stands out to you? One more. I touched on it earlier, it must be great to write down, right? (laughs) God's love and truth doesn't care about rules and traditions. And I know there's especially certain personality types in here they get really uncomfortable right now. because, you're, But God does give rules. And some of these rules are his rules. And I don't understand how he does this. I understand. Like I really, really do. And it's not that rules are completely unimportant. I'm going to tiptoe here for a second because I don't know the right way to say all this. I feel like whatever I say, like people will <laughs> off either side. But I, I do feel like if you read... And like even when I'm getting ready to say, you can, but so be it. Twist it the wrong way. If you read the Bible the way that God reveals it, this is what He says: relationships are the priority. People are the priority. And so there are times when these relationships butt up head to head with the rules. And this is what you see. And you can be as uncomfortable as you want with it. But like, I, don't, I don't know a way to read the Bible and stand up here honestly except to say that this is what we see over and over and over. I mean, you know, like, let's just dive in like the muck right now, okay? Go back to Exodus 1. And Pharaoh is telling the midwives, hey, you kill all those Jewish babies. Right? Don't love people. Don't worry about your relationship. You kill those Jewish babies. And they don't. The midwives won't do it. And then they lie to Pharaoh. Like, There's no way around it. They're like, oh, the, the, the Jewish women give birth so fast that we can't get there to kill the babies that are already born. It's just a flat-out lie. They just are refusing to do what Pharaoh said. And God blesses the midwives. Which rule people have trouble with that. I mean, honestly, they lie and God blesses them. And if you want me to help you, there's a deeper rule. <laughs> it's not that there aren't rules that matter. It's just that God has deeper rules in his character. And the love that, when you say God is love, the love that defines the relationships within the Trinity, the love that he intends to define his relationship with us and our relationship with one another is a deeper rule. It is the royal law. When Jesus says, love God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself, like, he's not really blowing up all the rules. What he's saying is when you do that, you'll live out the rules the right way. But if you don't do that, like if, if, the, if love and relationships don't define who you are, then here's the other thing that'll happen. This side over here, you can't get those right even if you follow all of them. Like, you'll twist them, you'll live them out in the wrong ways, you'll live them out in the ways that are are cruel and hard and unjust. Like, you can use rules in a way that just favor you. It's why no human government is ever going to be our hope or our answer. Like, the Spirit of God coming and living inside of people and changing our hearts and producing His love in us so that we actually love other people and not ourselves that's the answer. But as long as you have broken, sinful people in charge, people who have selfishness and self-centeredness in their hearts, it doesn't matter where you put them, what the system is. None of it matters because they're going to corrupt it. Like We are the problem, you and me, internally. And God in the gospel is the only one who can offer an internal fix, internal healing, internal change. It's also why there's no distinction that we're all on the same page. We're all, we're all the same before him in need of the same Savior. And so the, the pull to value rules over people, rules over relationships, is almost always these rules are a lot safer for me. They're more predictable. It's easier for me to be in control. You've outlined it. I know what to do, what not to do, what to, tell to do, what not to do. And, and right here it is. And listen, relationships are messy and they're hard. And they require, if we're going to live them out the way that Jesus calls us to, a bunch of things that aren't natural to us. Grace is not natural to us, love is not natural to us. Right? Willingly accepting. Some, the hurt that someone else puts on you, saying, I will, I'll pay the debt for you. I'll, I will take it for you. Like, that's not natural. Only Jesus does that. And most of us, if we're just being really, really gut level, expose our hearts honest right here, we like the fact that that's the message of the gospel, that Jesus did that for us, but we really haven't trusted Jesus enough yet to do that in us, because we don't want Him to do that in us. Like, I don't want to die to that side of me that can demand my rights and demand my way and judge other people and say, you yeah, know, no, this is what you should be doing. This is what you should. This is what, no, I know how it should be, and just get in line with what I think. We don't want to give that up. We want to be God. We want to be the definer of what's right and wrong, what's acceptable and not. And it all boils back down to: Will I surrender to God? Will I trust God? will I acknowledge that He is the center. He, is the one, he defines all of this, and what He says is true, and it is right. Him. like not, a, not an impersonal set of rules, but a holy and righteous and loving God. And when these things reflect His character, great. When these things help us better know Him more, great. And as soon as we substitute these things for Him, that's a huge, huge problem. And we see it today. I'll just, we'll just jump off right there, because this is the one thing that stood out to me. The beginning of chapter 11, when these really religious people are upset with Peter, you notice what they're called here? The circumcision party. And what's going on there is, this is the way that they've defined themselves. This has become their identity. This is how we're different from everybody else. This is what makes us God's people. This is the mark that makes us God's people, and you're not. And they have found their identity in this thing. This rule that they're following, and listen, it was a rule that God gave them, Genesis 17. You go back and read Genesis 17, he shows up to Abraham, he says, this is going to be the sign of my covenant with you. And so we're not saying God didn't give it to them, but at some point, instead of it being, this is the sign of my covenant with you, for Abraham, what that meant was, God is my God, and he has made me a promise and I believe his promise, and I am marked as his person. I belonged like Abraham's identity was in God and who, who God had revealed himself to be and what God had promised to do for Abraham. But at some point along the way, this is no longer I'm identified as God's people. I'm identified by what I've done externally and the rule that I followed, and here's my identity, and this is what makes me more valuable than you and more holy than you. And so there are identities in that. And so what happens is Peter just did something God just did something through Peter that threatens their identity. Because all of a sudden, I'm not special because of this anymore. God doesn't distinguish between me and the people who aren't like this. And listen, when something threatens our identity, we get real fired up. (laughs) Because whether we say it out loud or not, what's going on is, hey, this is where I find my worth. This is where I find my value. Like, this is where I achieve. This is where I prove myself. And it's, you want to make no distinction? This is common to all humans, religious and irreligious. I'm really good at my job. I'm a really good parent. Like, I'm just going to pour myself into my kids. I'm a really good friend. I'm always going to be there for people. I'm really popular. I'm really charismatic. I get all the likes on social media. I like guess it's, it's the stuff. I've got big house and a fancy car, lots of nice clothes. Just go down the list all the ways this, this, this is why I'm worthy. This is why I'm valuable. This is what matters. And anything that threatens that, we get really, really riled up. And the thing is, God's coming along, and he's saying, none of that's your identity. If you're going to cling to that, I'm going to keep threatening all of that until you know that Jesus is your identity. Jesus is your worth. Jesus makes you valuable. And nothing added to him. And so if you want to know like what these areas are for you, like the, the things that actually are your identity and the places where you find value, you're like, I don't know what that is in my life really. Here, just for the next week, pay real close attention. When do you get the maddest? When do you get the most worked up? When are you the most offended? What things stir up just the most irrational fears and worry and anxiety and anger inside of you? And there's a pretty good chance if you trace that back, it's threatening something that is more important to you than Jesus. It's threatening something in your life that has become your identity and your worth and your value instead of Jesus. And so they've put their identity in this religious tradition, in a rule that God had given them. Instead of their relationship with God, And and just notice this also, that the religious Jews were slow to share the gospel with the Gentiles, even though It cost them nothing. It wasn't like God was saying, hey, in order for the Gentiles to get the gospel, you can't have it anymore. But he's not taking anything away from these early Jewish Christians. He's not saying, all right, this is a great sacrifice for you. Either the gospel's for you or the gospel's for them. And in order for the gospel to be for them, you're going to have to give it up. That's not what he's saying, right? Right? He's saying it's for everybody, including you. But the religious Jews were really slow to share the gospel with the Gentiles, so slow that you know, even like, God knew they were going to be slow. That's why all of chapter 10 happens as dramatically as it does. And Peter comes back, and sure enough, they're like, why would you do that? And so he explains to them what God did. And this is the other thing. Like This hit me hard this week. So Peter tells them, look, God did this. He gave the same gift to them. No distinction between them and us. How could I stand in God's way? This is God. So this shuts them up for a minute. They heard this. They fell silent. And this looks like a really good religious response. They glorified God. All right, so God has granted repentance that leads to life, even to the Gentiles. You walk away right now from this little lunch meeting. You're like, hey, they got it. They said the same thing Peter said. They got to the end, and with their mouth, they repeated the same words as Peter. They get it. Very next verse, now those who were scattered, the Jews who were driven out of Jerusalem because of the persecution when they stoned Stephen, they traveled all over the place, which that's a good, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Did they get it? Did they get it? No. Religious people hearing the right thing, saying the right answers, and they leave, and did they get it? Good morning, religious people. Hearing the right things, saying the right answers on the handy-dandy-andy notebook, all the right answers. Are we gonna leave and get it? That the gospel's for everybody. That Jesus is for everybody. And that coming into this building once a week is not a mark on you that makes you God's people. This is not the thing that sets you apart and distinguishes you from everybody else. This is the place where we come to hear from God together because we know we need each other and we know how fast we get off course and we need him to remind us and correct us and then for us just to humbly ask together, God, when we leave, don't let us be these religious people. Don't let us hear it and say it out loud and then walk out there and not do it. We need you to do it in us. Change us. Don't let this be our ritual. And so what really stood out to me is they're still struggling to get it because here their identity is in something they've done, a rule they follow, a work that they can do. And then watch this. Two more things. Verse 20, this is like, Spoiler alert for chapter 13, but verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who come to this city called Antioch. And I know it's I said two weeks from now, chapter 13, but they spoke to the Hellenists also. Here it is. The very first time they get it. The very first time they do what Jesus told them to do. And I'm going to, the spoiler alert is when we get to chapter 13, here's what happens in Antioch. There's a church born in Antioch because some of these Jewish men dared to speak the gospel to Gentiles. And when this church is born in Antioch, in chapter 13, they've got seven teachers teaching the church. Two of them you know, Barnabas, we see him here, and Saul, who becomes Paul. And in chapter 13, the Holy Spirit speaks to that church at Antioch and says, set aside Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I'm calling them. And they get launched out, out of Antioch, on the first missionary journey in the history of the church. And this is the church from which the gospel spreads to the entire known world in the book of Acts. That's where we're headed in two more chapters, okay? like. You want to know, like if we're talking just the details of what happened, why did the gospel finally explode to Asia and Africa and Europe? Like like what's the moment that we see that gets recorded from Acts 13 to Acts 28 when it ends, Paul's in Rome, like the the capital of the Roman Empire, the center of the entire known world at that time, teaching the gospel. How do we get from Acts 13 to Acts 28? Some men of Cyprus and Cyrene finally did what Jesus said and believed the gospel was for everybody. And here's the thing, you don't even know their names. Who did this? Nameless people who just believed Jesus enough to do what he said. Nameless people who had been impacted by the love and grace of Jesus enough that they said this love and grace is for everybody. Look, it's not Peter. It's not Paul. It's not Barnabas. It's not James. It's not John. It's not Andrew. It's not Philip. It's not anybody you can name. And I don't think that's an accident. It's like the biggest thing that happens in terms of missions and the gospel reaching the ends of the earth and all the Holy Spirit tells us hey, there were some men who did what Jesus told them to do. Their names don't matter. This was Jesus' work, and Jesus did it. Will you be some people who do what Jesus tells you to do? Will you believe Jesus this way? Not to make a name for you, not to make a name for me. God, help us, don't make a name for me. Not to make a name for Friendship Community Church. Throw the name away. It's just some people that believed Jesus and have been changed by his love and his grace, and they went out and they literally changed the entire world. The entire world. Because they believed Jesus meant what he said and Jesus was going to do what he promised. Like don't sit here and think that it can't be you. you. You don't get any less significant than we can't even write your name down. And that's who God used. So here we've got these religious Jews really struggling because their identity is still in their traditions and their rules and what they've done. You've got a few of them that decide to speak the word to to non-Jews. The hand of the Lord was with them. Jesus is really, really pleased with this. And he blesses it and he pours out power. A great number of non-Jews now turn to the Lord. They believe and turn to the Lord. So they hear about it in Jerusalem. They send Barnabas to Antioch. When he came, look what he saw. He saw the grace of God. He didn't see religious identity anymore. He didn't see this is what we've done and the rule that we've followed and the ritual that we've gone through to make ourselves different. He saw this is how the grace of God is changing people. This is what God is actually doing in people, so this is how God is changing people. And then what I really want you to see. So When it was their rules and their identity and their religion, it was hard for them to share even the gospel at no cost to them. Now these irreligious people, like these unclean common people that the Jews had thought had been rejected by God for years and years and years, when the grace of God comes on them internally, instead of just this rule that we're following externally, here's the grace of God changing us internally. Watch what happens down here at the end. The prophets come from Jerusalem. One of them says, hey, there's going to be a famine. So what do they decide to do? They say, all right, there's going to be a famine, and it's really going to affect the Jewish Christians. Like they're, they're being persecuted in Jerusalem for believing in Jesus. They're losing their homes, losing their jobs, losing their money. And they say, we'll give our wealth to them. We'll share with them at great cost to us. Like, See how different this is. External religion, religious rituals changed these first Jewish Christians so little that they wouldn't even share the gospel with Gentiles at no cost to themselves. But these Gentiles encounter the grace of God, and they're being changed by the grace of God, and they say, we will give generously at great cost to us to help the very people who didn't even want to include us in the church, to love the people who are rejecting us, to provide for the people who thought that we were common and unclean and not good enough. Like this is how the grace of God changes your heart and changes your relationships. And so we've got these irreligious Gentiles share personal wealth with the Jews, And in my notes, I just asked why. And that's when I went back up there to verse 23. Because of the grace of God. The grace of God changed them in such a way that all they could say was, I know I'm getting from God something I could never ever deserve. The, the way that these early Jewish Christians rejected us as Gentiles, that's the way I've rejected God. And what did God do when I rejected him? He came and he found me and he provided for me and he kept reaching out to me and he gave me everything I needed even though I could never ever deserve it. So what am I going to do now for these people that have rejected me? I'm going to go and I'm going to find them and I'm going to provide for them and I'm going to take care of them and I'm going to give them everything they need even though they could never ever deserve it. They're being defined by the grace of God, by their relationship with God, and not just by their religion or their rituals or the rules that they're following. And they're totally changed by that. And I've got three more things as we wrap up that I want to say in connection to that. Number one, this is a really, really big one because it's not circumcision for us today. That's not our external mark, that was was Judaism. But in the church today, there is a really big one. And in a lot of religious traditions, we miss this. We, we teach a false gospel over this piece right here. Baptism. This is the work you have to do. You have to be baptized to be saved. It's what a lot of religious traditions teach. This is the identifying marker that you have to have, and this is what makes you right with God and makes you God's people. And it's not. It's not. Jesus and Jesus alone forgives your sins and cleanses you and makes you right with God. And the reason I pointed out today is because it does connect with what we're, the parallel we're seeing to the Jews and circumcision with baptism in the church, but also because if you want the clearest place in the whole Bible, because so there, there is a very close relationship between I believe in Jesus, so I'm going to obey Jesus and be baptized. I'm going to identify with Jesus publicly. Baptism is really significant. And so sometimes that close relationship makes some people think, hey, this has to happen for you to really believe in Jesus and be saved. This is the clearest place in the entire Bible for you to see how salvation actually happens. Watch what happens right here. Peter preaches the truth about Jesus to them. He tells them who Jesus is, And he ends with, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, what happened? The people who hear the truth about Jesus and are believing it receive the Holy Spirit. Now, just biblically speaking, very simply, if you receive the Holy Spirit, you're saved, right? This is how God seals you. Is how he marks you as his own. This is the work that he does. And so these Gentiles, they hear the truth about Jesus. They believe the truth about Jesus. They haven't done anything. Like Peter's not even done with his sermon, right? Just to make it really clear, it's not about Peter wrapping up this sermon perfectly and giving a really emotional, heart jerking invitation that gets some people out of their seats and they come down here and respond. Like, it's the truth about Jesus that brings these people's hearts to life. They hear it and they believe and the Holy Spirit comes on them right then. And so Peter and they're all, they're blown away. God's really saving these Gentiles. That's why they're so amazed right here. Because he's given the gift of the Holy Spirit even to the Gentiles. And so then Peter says, all right, if that's the case, if they've received the Holy Spirit and been saved the same way that we have, who can stop them from being baptized? Do you see the order here? Baptism is not a work that they do in order to get right with God. It's not an expression of their faith that makes them right with God. It's an expression of their faith because they're already right with God. This is a work that they do because the Spirit is now living in them and producing obedience in them toward Jesus, producing in them the desire to be identified with Jesus and marked as His people. And the order's crucial here because otherwise we turn right back into these religious Jews who we hold up our work and our rule and our external ritual that we follow. We're like, here's what we do to make ourselves right with God. And you don't do anything to make yourself right with God. You can't. You can't. Only Jesus can, and He has. And He offers it to you freely. Like when you are sitting there and you haven't even gotten out of your seat and you haven't done anything yet and Peter's still in the middle of his sermon and something in your heart says, I believe this truth about Jesus. That's all you've got is this empty, done-nothing faith that Jesus has done everything. And he receives you and he accepts you. And so see that today. It is no work that you do. It is nothing that you offer God. It's the work that Jesus has done and what God offers you. That is his gospel. And then also, when you get that, when you get the grace of God to you, when Barnabas comes and he sees the grace of God, that's the thing that changes you internally. That's the thing that says, God has poured out to me, so I'm going to pour out to others. And in this chapter, it took a a specific expression. They knew there was going to be great need in Jerusalem financially. And they say, we're going to meet that great need. So the second thing I want to bring to your attention today is that we're aware of that in our own church. We've got a family um, that's in serious financial need right now, and we would like to help them the way that we see biblically. And so we wanted to give you a week's notice that in addition to your regular tithes and offerings next Sunday... uh, we would like as a church to take a special designated offering that's going to go 100% to this family that's in need. We've already set up a place on the website, when you give online, there's a place where you can select for this special benevolence offering if you want to go ahead and give online sometime this week. If you'd rather bring it next Sunday, you can just designate, You know, like write it in the memo on the check, or if you put it in an envelope, make sure you write on there and put it in the boxes back there. And so we're going to give regularly like we always do, but in addition to that, we're asking you to give to meet some needs in, in the congregation, to just say this is an expression of God's grace from us to one another, to live out these relationships and love each other. We know this need exists. We want to meet it. It's the book of Acts. It's what the early church looks like. This is what happens when Jesus builds his church. We want to be that. And so I just we wanted you to know a week in advance that we'll be doing that next week that gives you time to plan and prepare. And then the last thing I want to say this morning is I asked this question, like, why did they do that? Why would we do that at cost to us? And I said, because of the grace of God. And I hope you know that anytime I say because of the grace of God, what we're saying is because of Jesus. Because Jesus looked at you and me, and we had nothing to offer him. And we had an unpayable debt that we owed. And at great cost to him, he said, I'll give you what you need. I'll pay your debt for you. We had nothing to offer him, and he gave everything to us. That's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus has done for his people. And when your identity starts to be in Jesus and who he is and what he's done for you, instead of what you've done, what you think you're offering to him, when your identity's in him and what he has done, then you start to be defined by the grace that he shows and the grace that he gives and the grace that he pours out on you and the grace that he fills you up with. And so you, you ask, like, why, why would we do anything then? Like if the rule, you're up there and you make it sound like the rules don't matter and the rituals don't matter and the traditions don't matter, so why would we do anything? You make it sound like baptism doesn't matter. Why would we do that? Because of Jesus. Not because you're proving yourself. Not because you're making yourself right before God. Not because you're establishing yourself some way. Not because you're doing these good things to offer to God. Because Jesus has already done it all. That's why Like, why is your heart moved to give? Not not because we want to keep some kind of religious program and gathering happening in a building. Don't give because of that reason. Give because of Jesus. Give because Jesus gave everything. Give because you don't have to hold on tightly anymore. You don't have to cling because he's given it all to you. All of it, forever. (laughs) Because this is who Jesus is and Jesus lives in you now and Jesus is your identity now. And the more you believe that, the more you believe his love you his grace to you what he has given to you the more it frees you to love that way and give that way and show grace that way and so i pray you'll see jesus that way this morning i pray that god by his spirit through his word will open our eyes and we will see jesus just just this much more because if you see him if you really see him you will love him you will trust him You will follow him. He will live in you and do this in you. And so I pray you see Jesus this morning. Our worship team is going to come up and we're going to thank God that this is the truth of the gospel, that this is who he is and what he has done for us. We're going to thank him and praise him together. And as we get ready to do that, will you pray with me right now and ask God to be doing this in our hearts? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that when we have nothing to our credit, nothing to offer you, that when we are just a pile of brokenness and bankruptcy and spiritual poverty, that you looked on us in love and grace and you said, I still want you. And I'm coming to get you. And you gave everything to us in Jesus. Father, stir up the type of faith inside of us that believes what you have done in Jesus. And set us free in your gospel by the power of your love and grace to us. Set us free to live out your love and grace to each other. And to the entire world. And Father, I ask that you will raise up some people. Call out some nameless people from this church who will believe you in such a way that you will use us to turn the world upside down. Please do this work by your spirit for your glory in the name of Jesus Amen